Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial Advisors in Boca Raton, Florida. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? Doing pretty good. Lots of uh, uh, weather starting to develop and markets starting to move around a little bit, as you know. Yeah, I am. Uh, I don't get to live in South Florida, so I live up here in Western Nebraska where we're going to get four to six inches of snow and teens for lows. So, um, if we're lucky, I guess there's there been some, I've seen some reports where it might be single digits. So, It'll be uh, this uh, this weather event coming is no joke, man. It's going to have a big effect on everything that we see uh, pretty much across the entire Corn Belt. If you take a look at what's happening all the way across, it might not be the snow, but the cold air is is what uh, has a lot of people worried. Even some guys I talked to in, uh, in Illinois yesterday, um, they were worried about that as well because there's still a lot of green corn out there that they're uh, got planted late and they're trying to at least get it to the point where they can start even chop it. So um, a lot of stuff going on there. So the corn market has been rallying quite, quite, uh, quite a bit here this last uh, 10 days or so. Uh, Looks like right now we're up over 395 ish or so, something like that um, for the December 19 corn, which has been a long time since it's been there. Uh, we've had a, about what a 40, 45 cent uh, correction since the August report. So a lot of stuff going on in that marketplace. So talk about this weather event, Sean. I know this is one of your specialties and stuff you like to talk about. But this weather event is going to have a, a tremendous ripple effect throughout the, the entire market, especially if it is as widespread and as cold and devastating as, as they're predicting. Well, I mean, we've been talking about even a you know, mid-October frost this year because of so many acres uh, you know, that were planted late in the late developing crop, you know, that that could be a problem, especially if it was uh, protracted and widespread. And, you know, we, we kind of delayed it for a while. It, 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 you know, it didn't happen in September. I and mean, then all of a sudden we're getting this huge impact. Um, as you said, this broad ridge of cold air coming in. And it looks like it'll be, you know, late this week into mid next week, a pretty extended period of, of I wouldn't even call it frost, hard freeze in a lot of areas that you know, really aren't ready yet. I mean, if you looked at the progress report in terms of how much corn was mature and how much was not mature, still a lot of immature corn out there, especially in the northern uh, grain belt that's going to be impacted by this. And so you know, the market won't know for sure how much. It'll take some time to figure out, but we're definitely going to be losing bushels here, Casey, the next um, week. And we already lost 300 million bushels of corn in the quarterly grain stocks where the USDA, as we talked about last week, said they just couldn't find them. So things are tightening up a bit. You know, we're, we went from 2 billion to 1.7 billion. You know, we take another some more, uh, you know, some more yield off here. You know, all of a sudden we're looking at a billion three. You know, all of a sudden it's a four-handle market again, not a three-handle market. And I think that's where we're working our way towards. So, yeah. <clears throat> what what effect right now that we see happen? Okay, so China's like we talked about earlier. China has come to the table. Of course, we're the only game in town that, ha- that can support what they want to buy. You know, they've got some soybeans on the marketplace that they're buying. They've got some hogs. They bought some beef. Um, they're buying some stuff, not because they're trying to be good neighbors, but because they kind of have to, right? And that's kind of where we're at. So as you look at what's happening now, 
don't you feel like soybeans would have the biggest effect just because of where they're at and they're growing? I mean, the summer when I would drive down the highway across I-80, the soybeans looked as like everybody planted them at the exact same minute, the exact same day, all the way down I-80 as you look across there. Um, some guys are out cutting beans, those kind of things, but there's got to be a big ripple effect in the soybean market if there's a big frost effect across the soybean corn belt. I mean, I think so, Casey. I mean, I would argue that there could be a, even a greater impact for soybeans because it was even later planted, later uh, it was even further behind and, and more susceptible. So, um, and remember, you know, we, we have just consistently been moving our, cor- our ending stocks down from a billion bushels down to 650. You know, now we're under 500 million. And, you know, all of a sudden you take another couple of million uh, bushels to the acre off and yield and, and the Chinese buy uh, at the rate that they are, you know, we're pushing 300 million bushels of carryout. We, we haven't been at 300 million bushels of carryout for U.S. in quite a few years. And, you know, hard to exactly know what the market will do at any given time. But, you know, that's suggesting we go market if we get to that level you know, between here and the end of the year. Um, you know, it wouldn't be at all uh, unthinkable. I think we could have a $10 uh, soybean market, especially if we get mother, uh, South America weather into the equation, it's it's conceivable, and that you know that's not the greatest price in the world, but that's certainly a price that becomes more favorable to farmers than eight dollar uh, than eight dollar soybeans. You know, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's better than where it's at now, right? I mean, we're, what we see happening now and, and what's going on with with the uh, African swine fever that's happened, and, and the issues that come from that, and the amount of of pigs that have been cold in China. Um, this is probably, I hate to say it, but this is probably the, the next best thing for the soybean market with just the amount of, of demand that's not there with, with the Chinese hog herd being as low as it is. I mean, you know, when you think about the market, it always discounts the future. So we've been talking about African swine fever, lower bean meal demand, you know, all these things for a year and a half now. And the soybean market has is not been able to get below really the low eights. It, it just hasn't been able to do it. And and look, the rest of the world is is growing the hog herd, they're growing the cattle herd, um, they're growing the, uh, the the chicken flocks. I mean, it, it, everyone else is growing, trying to meet this demand. And eventually, the Chinese will do the same when they get their act together. And that means looking ahead, there's going to be a dramatic increase in feed demand for animal feeding units globally and we're probably at the absolute trough now of that picture and because the market's forward looking it's already looking ahead and saying things are going to get a whole lot better than they have been so we're probably through the worst of this demand side risk and we're looking through the other side which really means soybeans could be as you said have a slingshot effect you know. right absolutely all right so let's bounce over and take a look at the cattle complex cattle complex has been all over the place um there's been investigations and all this fun stuff going on and everyone's kind of got their, their dander up about this, uh, the cattle market and rightfully so. Um, talk about what's happening there. I mean, everything should be pointing in a, in a direction of, of upward trends and kind of starting to see that a little bit. I think so. You know, I mean, Tyson shock is out of the way, whatever took place. Um, an investigation might clear that up, but whatever it is, we're beyond that shock mm-hmm. and, Better demand from the Chinese, better demand from the Japanese. We're getting really strong domestic demand. The industry is proven they can still move cattle into through the slaughter that are needed. And we're moving into the first quarter where 
Supplies are going to be down the second largest amount from the fourth quarter in history. So we look at all of that and we just think that this cattle market is going to be in a perpetual move higher like it has been. Um, and then, of course, the Tyson plant comes back online supposedly in January mm-hmm. and they'll be back and buy normally again. And so all this says that the cattle market it looks pretty good to us and um, you know, we think it's going to continue at higher really ugly, you know, unfortunate summer. But, you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. We think we're on the other side and, you know, cattle producers are going to get a shot at getting prices that make sense again. And that's a good sign and good news for us and for them. Yep. Hog markets have uh, been a bit anemic here of late. I mean, they just, even though the stuff we're getting out of China and the export reports that come out, it's still struggling to, uh, to kind of turn that corner. So talk about the hog market a little bit. Well, I mean... On paper, you look at how many, how much supply is going to come to the market in the U.S., and you gasp, you know, because it's just a massive record amount of supply. That, but then you look at what the Chinese need to buy and have been buying, and you gasp because you say, "My gosh, that demand can never be met." And so we are stuck between these two emotional extremes of look at this immense supply and look at this immense demand, and depending upon how one views that balance in a week determines if we put 10 on or take 10 off the hog market. Remember though, the intermediate term picture, like cattle, we are moving into the first quarter where where hog production, uh, pork production in the U.S. is going to be off significantly and we don't see demand slowing down. So we think there's going to be an inflection point where we're going to stop flip-flopping and it's going to be more consistently, we don't have enough supply, we don't have enough supply, we don't have enough supply as we move into the first quarter. And I think that means we're going to get more of an uptrending market than this bifurcation back and forth that's been a great trader's market, but not a great trending market. You know? right. All right. So last week when you were on, you talked about the cotton market a little bit, and, and we still you still have some bullish um, kind of long-term outlook on – or bearish, I'm sorry, out, long-term outlook on cotton, and but you said there might be a short-term run. Are you still feeling that that as we take a look at what's going on now with the the extreme temperatures we see in the southeast and what's the, the dryness we see in Texas? Yeah, I mean, short term, seasonally, you know, are, are, it's always important to know, you know psychologically what does a market like to do at a particular time. The cotton market likes to rally from October into the first quarter. It likes to do it. It normally does it. Um, and and this year, you know, we've discounted a weak economy. We've discounted the lack of Chinese demand. We've discounted the trade war. Um, But what we have not discounted is these weather problems that have reduced production greater than the market has been anticipating. And I think what we need to do now is reprice that bullish factor. And and the Chinese are going to come in like they've been coming in for soybeans, like they've been coming in for pork and beef. Seasonally, they need to buy our cotton this time of the year. They're really not going to get it from anybody else. And so we think that exports are going to improve. And for at least the next three or four months, we're going to have an improved export picture for U.S. cotton. And so all that says to me, not big, massive bull market, here we go, but a credible rally. We've been talking about the upper 60s, potentially even the low 70s as a target point, which isn't the best, but it'll be a a halfway decent price for the cotton farmer to sell versus the mid 50s where we were just a few months back. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good news to hear because the cotton market's been kind of down in the dumps here a bit, but it's, uh, we can get a, a seasonal jump up that gives some guys a good chance to contract some stuff uh, in the forward market. So things are looking good there. All right. Let's talk about one more thing. 
I here in Scotts Bluff, I here in this Panhandle, Nebraska, you know, there's about five different spots for it. Sugar beets are a big deal. And, uh, you know, the overall sugar market has a big effect on how those sugar beets play out. Since it's something like 60% of the, the nation's sugar comes from sugar beets, uh, not sugar cane, as most people think. So do you follow the sugar market at all? And do you see anything, any moves there that, that could be a, a big indicator of what's happening uh, with the sugar market? Well, as you know, the, the U.S. sugar market is heavily subsidized and protected from the rest of the world. And so we have to kind of separate U.S. sugar from global sugar. But the point we've been trying to make, Casey, is that this is the second year of a global deficit for sugar. Um, India's crop estimates are going to be down anywhere from 15 to 20 percent year over year. Thailand production is going to be down 15 to 20 percent year over year. Those are the two dominant producers and exporters of sugar outside of Brazil, which is continues to put more sugar over to ethanol and less sugar cane over to refined sugar. So when we look at that picture, it says that we are going to be tightening up our overall sugar supplies dramatically. Um, and to the extent that the U.S. You know, comes up short with their sugar production, it's just a bullish, it's a bullish scenario for sugar. And we do think sugar prices are probably at the beginning of a pretty sizable, substantial rally. Um, you know, as the market prices in all this shortage of supply and, and tightening of the market, and the U.S. is a part of that. So, What's driving the, the lack of supply over in Thailand and India? Well, we had a, a very, very uh, unusual monsoon season in Asia, Casey. We had bone dry, hot weather for the first half, um, and then we had flooding. We've talked about this, how right. we get these yep. hot, dry, wet. And so we went from these two extremes – Hot and dry, cold and wet, and it just, just you know, they, they didn't get the rains when they need it, and they got the rains when they didn't need it, and so it just, in both countries, it killed the crop. Um, and, and because of that, you know, we're, the, we're just really having the two largest players, or one of the two largest players in the industry, have substantially below normal crop production this year, and um, there's just no way to come, there's no way to get around from that uh, until next year and hopefully having a better crop. And the only way you're going to get that is prices need to be better and weather has to improve um, at this point. So this is a, this, when we look at the history of the sugar market, Casey, India has always been the catalyst to really get the sugar market going. When they have a really bad crop, sugar prices take off. When they have a really good crop, sugar prices uh, kind of take a nosedive. They're we call them the equilibrating factor in the sugar market and being down, you know, 20% year over year and production is where it was four or five years ago says to us that we need a, we're going to have a big rally here as we move forward. And uh, we're pretty excited about the sugar market. Our smart money algorithm that we follow the capital flows of the insiders are in a buy signal right now in that market, heavily betting on higher prices. So everything seems to be in place for sugar prices to go quite a bit higher here, at least for the next three to six months, we think. So. Okay, man. Well, Sean, it's always a, always a pleasure to talk to you. Folks want to reach out to you and get some more information about your smart money reports. What's the best way to do that? Just go to our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. And, you know, we have all kinds of sample reports and videos and po podcasts and things that they can get a better idea of what we do and how we do it to see if it might be value to what they do. And also check out Sean's YouTube channel out there. I think it's Hack the Financial, if I remember right. 
out there on YouTube. And uh, he's got a lot of great information about some various uh, weather things he's been tracking as well as just some overall information about what's happened. So check those out and uh, lots of good information there. So Sean, uh, appreciate you being on the podcast and we'll catch you down the road probably next week, bud. Sounds good, Casey. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Moving higher in the 21st century.